0: On this episode of Leading the Way, a young, wealthy man and his life-changing encounter with Jesus.
1: The young man's question is really the question that millions of people around the world are asking. How much effort is it going to take for me to make it to heaven? I don't want you to miss this point because this is really an important one. Very, very important. Big capital I. (laughs) What can I do? (laughs) How can I earn my way to heaven how can i pay for my eternal life how can i atone of for my sins that i know that are burning inside of me how can i have the key or the formula or the secret to going to heaven
0: you've probably heard the question at one time or another what must i do to get to heaven welcome to leading the way with pastor author and international bible teacher Dr. Michael Yusuf. Up next, eavesdrop on a conversation Jesus had with a wealthy young man and how he answered that age-old question, what must I do to get to heaven? It's all part of Dr. Michael Yusuf's life-changing series, Encountering Christ. Listen along with me now to this episode's message from Dr. Yusuf.
1: We live in a time when we have lots of choices in life. We really do. Choices that most people around the world will never have. Choices that our grandparents wouldn't even be able to dream of. Choices. we got all sorts of choices in life. But sometimes having too many choices can work against us. Having too many choices at times can paralyze us. In fact, having too many choices, it causes confusion in the mind of some. Having too many choices uh, can confound us. And and I know for a fact that uh, to some, choices perplex them. It's like the horse who died between two bales of hay because he couldn't decide which one to eat first. (laughs) The Bible actually, from the very beginning, gives us Two choices. But these two choices always come with a clear warning of the consequence of each choice. When God gave Adam and Eve a choice in the Garden of Eden, He said to them, you can eat from all of these trees. This one you must not touch. But the moment you eat from it, you will spiritually die. And we all know what the consequences were. And we are the inheritors of the wrong choice, because we all inherited their DNA of wanting to choose the wrong way. In his farewell speech, Moses was speaking to the people of God. They're getting ready to get into the promised land, and he says to them, he said, be sure to choose the right way. If you obey the Lord your God, you will be blessed. In fact, through Moses, God was appealing to His people, and He is appealing to everyone in every generation ever since. I set before you a blessing and a curse. What will you choose? Which one will you choose? Please choose wisely. God is standing with open arms as represented in the stretch arms on that cross, saying, I welcome you. Choose the right way. And today we are introduced to a young man in Matthew 19. He's really, in many ways, an extraordinary young man. He was not your average person. He was an unusual person. And when he comes to Jesus, asking him what must he do to inherit heaven, to make it to heaven, to inherit eternal life, Jesus gives him a choice. Sadly, in verse 22 of Matthew 9, we see that he makes the wrong choice, and that is why the Bible said he went away sad. He went away sorrowful. He made the wrong choice, and he knew it. He knew it. That is why he was so depressed when he left the presence of Jesus. The Bible tells us this man was rich. It tells us that this man was a religious man. He was a moral man. You say, what else do you want? Ah, but he was a dissatisfied man. He was an empty man on the inside. He was a restless man with all of the issues of life, the important things of life, all of the significant things in life. All of his religious rituals did not give him the peace of mind. All of his wealth and his material possessions did not assure him of the forgiveness of his sins. All of his knowledge did not relieve the burning guilty conscience. All of his efforts could not assure him that if he closes his eyes in death, that he will be in heaven with Jesus. And so he comes to Jesus and says, I want to put it in my own language, okay? This is a use of translation. <laughs> How can I be assured that when I close my eyes in death, I will have eternity in heaven? Beloved, listen to me. This is a fact. Most people who do not know God, when the dust is settled and they're all alone, not out there partying and giving the impression that they're having a good time, but all alone, When the smoke clears and they really look into the mirror of life, when they allow the voice of their conscience to speak to them, they know deep, deep down that they are living in rebellion against the Holy God. They know it. I knew it. When I was in rebellion against my family, a rebellion against my parents, a rebellion against God, I knew it. When I was all alone, I knew it. Deep down, there is a burning, guilty conscience. Why? Because they do not have peace with God, they do not have peace within. And they know it. When they put away all of the rhetorics and you put away all of the politics and you put away all of the debating and the fighting and you put away all of the arguments and all of the heated discussions, they don't have peace within. And that's why Jesus made it very clear to this young rich ruler, this religious man, that there's only one way that he's going to make it to heaven. There's only one way to have peace with God. There's only one way to have a peace of mind here and now and for eternity. There's only one way. You see, the young man's question is really the question that millions of people around the world are asking. How much effort is it going to take for me to make it to heaven? How much money Is it going to cost me? How many religious activities am I supposed to practice on a daily basis or a weekly basis or a monthly basis? What formula in life should I implement? What obligation do I need to fulfill so I can make it to heaven, so I can be assured of heaven here and now? I don't want you to miss this point because this is really an important one, very, very important. There's an overriding thought in that question. Big capital I. (laughs) What must I do? (laughs) What can I do? (laughs) How can I earn eternal life? How can I earn my way to heaven? How can I pay for my eternal life? How can I atone for my sins that I know that are burning, burning me, burning inside of me? How can I have the key or the formula or the secret to going to heaven? You know, in our society, we're bombarded about the secret to happiness and the key to this and the formula to the other thing. I've been watching through the years of how a clever guy who would say, you know, uh, come to my seminar, pay $100, and I'll show you how to be rich. And wham, 1,000 people sign up, just like that. And the only one who gets rich is a speaker. (laughs) (laughs) Now, beloved, the truth is much simpler than you think. No secrets, no quick fixes, no formulas, no keys, no... The truth is very simple. It really is. But there's something here I want you to notice. Listen, if you don't see Jesus' sense of humor in the gospel accounts, you're not reading it right. I'll help you. There are a lot of funny things that Jesus said, and most people just kind of... skim. Remember when talking about, keep the commandments. Really? I kept them all! Really? That's interesting. <laughs> and nobody could keep the commandments all the time, all of them, all the time, except Jesus. That is why he is the Savior. He's the one who could save us because he's the only one who was perfect. He's the one who lived the perfect, sinless life. But this man said, hey, I learned those things, and so I've, I've been keeping those things all my life, really. Now, here's a dialogue that I want to put it again in my own language. I want to show you the sense of humor here. (laughs) Jesus to the young man. You're telling me that you really kept all of the Ten Commandments since you were a boy? That's right. I did. Exactly. Kept them all. Right. Let's see. What about the First Commandment? How does this go again? Oh, he shall have no other god before me. Did you get that one? Yes, sir. Got it. Let me ask you. (laughs) Is your wealth a God to you? Is your money your master or your slave? Are you owning your possessions or do your possessions own you? I think at that point the guy probably was scratching his head. And, uh, oh, money's not my God. It's not really my God. And Jesus said, great. We are really making great strides here. Okay, if you want to follow me and trust in me, here's what I'm going to tell you. Give it all away. Huh? <laughs> Say that again? Just give it all away. Come and hang out with me. I'll provide for you. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not what I meant by keeping the Ten Commandments. (laughs) You don't understand, Jesus. What about the Tenth Commandment? Are you coveting even your own stuff? Are you completely trusting in my provision? If you trust in God, don't you just give it all away and come and follow me? Trust in my provision. Now, wait a minute, Jesus. Wait a minute. There's a limit to what I meant by keeping I've kept all the commandments. I'm sure if the discussion was even stretched further, Jesus would not have been bothered by the fact this guy really did not keep the commandment he thought he did. You know what he wanted him to do? He just wanted him to acknowledge it. Okay, just acknowledge that you did not keep them. That's all he wants us to do. That's all he wanted him to do. And this man said, I'm acknowledging nothing. I'm admitting nothing. I'm repenting of nothing. I am not confessing that. Beloved, let me ask you, where do you place your faith? Where do you place your trust? Where where is your confidence? Is it in your net worth? Is it in your portfolio? Is it in your religious observance and how meticulously you're keeping those religious observance? Is it in your own success? Is it in your own goodness? I am good in my own way. (laughs) Trusting in these things will only do one thing, and that's going to buttress your pride. That's what's going to do. Trusting in anything except the Lord Jesus Christ's death and resurrection to take you to heaven is only going to strengthen your pride. And pride will always keep you from heaven. Pride will always keep you from heaven. Because an authentic ticket to heaven must be stamped by the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on Calvary. What does it mean? It means to acknowledge your sin. All he wanted to do is acknowledge the fact that he really did not keep those commandments anyway. That he's a sinner. He wanted him to humble himself before him. He wants him to come and admit his desperate need for a Savior. And that only Jesus Christ can take him to heaven. It means that you don't look at anything as your hope in which you place your trust. Not your degrees. Not your intellect not your achievements, all of that be considered trash in comparison to receiving eternal life. Pride will keep you from heaven, but humility will give you heaven on earth and heaven for eternity. I was thinking about pride, and I thought of this true story that I read a number of years ago, true story of this young, athletic, good-looking young student at Oxford University in England, one day showed up in the hospital with severe pain in his knee. And so the doctors immediately started working, doing all the tests, and finally they came with the news that they must amputate his leg below the knee if his life is to be saved. To their utter horror, this young man refused. He would let him amputate. They pleaded with him. They pleaded with his family. They asked again and again, "It's the only way that we can save your life." And the young man said, "You will not amputate my leg." And sure enough, six months later, he died. And the doctors, particularly the surgeon, who was really took personal. He was devastated, and and he went to his bereaved mother after the funeral, and he said, please explain to me, why, why did he refuse to let us amputate, which most certainly would have saved his life? The brokenhearted mother responded this way. He was so proud of his looks and his athletic ability and his fame that he said he would rather die. Then his leg be amputated. My beloved friends, listen to me. When Jesus tested this rich young ruler, his pride was in his wealth. And when Jesus gave this young, rich young ruler a choice, he wanted him to choose correctly, but he didn't. Why? Because wealth created in him a sense of self satisfaction. His wealth created in him. A sense of invincibility. His wealth created in him a sense of security. His wealth created in him a sense of God's favor toward him. Some of you are probably sitting here and said, Michael, Michael, you're not talking to me. I don't have two pennies to rub together. Fine. Then what is it that is keeping you from coming to Christ? What is it that is keeping you from humbling yourself? in repentance and receiving His forgiveness and the gift of eternal life? What is keeping you from confessing your inability to save yourself? What's keeping you from repenting of your sins? What is keeping you from acknowledging that only Jesus can give you eternal life? What is it? Is it the pride of intellect? Is it the pride of ideas and philosophy? Is it the pride of your own ability? Is it the pride of your accomplishment? To me as a young man, it was the pride of rebelling against my parents. I did not want to do what they want me to do. And that kept me in misery. And this man's case, his wealth, was his problem. That really was the thing. That was the barrier. That was the wall that was keeping him from coming to Christ. But in your case, it could be ten other things, ten different things. You know what they are. You know what they are. Deep down, you know what your idol is. You know what's keeping you from coming to him. Let me give you an example from the Scripture. Abraham, by our standard, would have been in this day wealthier than Warren Buffett. A billionaire by their standards. But, you know, in the Scripture, never once do you see God saying to Abraham, give up your wealth, give up your wealth. Not once. Not one time. Ah, that was not the source of his pride. But what was the source of his pride? Isaac. Isaac was. And so what the, God says to Abraham, take all your money, give it away like he did with this. No, 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 no. Take Isaac, the one whom you love. Oh, God. Listen, I, don't, I still don't understand that, okay? I know it was a practice back then in the early days, 2,000 years before Christ. And so, Abraham goes up, builds the altar at Mount Moriah. He's saying, I give you the source of my pride. Nothing is going to come between you and me, Lord, even the dearest and the nearest. What is God doing? What's God doing here? He was testing Abraham. He was testing him. He was asking him to give the very source of his pride. Had this young man probably said to Jesus, probably, probably, okay, Lord, you're right. I know this is the thing that's standing between us. I'm going to give it all up, and I'm going to come and follow you. Most likely, Jesus said, no, 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 that's enough. The fact that you said it, it's okay. That's all I want to hear. That's all I want to hear. And now I'm speculating. Because when Abraham took Isaac, put him on the altar, you know what God said? Don't you touch that boy. (laughs) Why? See, Abraham passed the test. In fact, later on in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews tells us that Abraham had such faith in God that even if Isaac died, he was going to have the first resurrection ever in history. (laughs) God doesn't want anything from you. He has given you everything that you have. Whether you know it or not, and whether you acknowledge it or not, everything you have is given to you. So what is the problem? The problem is this. God wants you to come to him his way. God wants you to come to him on his own terms, not on yours. I told you the truth is very simple. (laughs) It really is. There is no secret to that and a key to this and and formula or tricks. No. You see, whatever it is that's standing between you and salvation and eternal life, you must be willing to put it on the altar. Place it there. And say, Lord Jesus, I receive you into my life. Not that I'm going to add you to my life with all the junk that I've got, but they're going to be number one now. See, Jesus knows what idol you have in your life. Whatever it is that's keeping you from Him. He knows what it is. And I have a fairly good idea that you know too. <laughs> to some, it may be wealth. To others, could be a relationship. To others, could be a lifestyle. To others, maybe pride. I'm not going to do what God wants me to do. Could be self. They want to please self, not God. The ultimate question is are you willing to surrender it and completely trust Jesus? as the only one who can save you. How about it?
0: Is there something keeping you from Jesus? Would you like to talk through it with one of our pastors? If so, click over to ltw.org Jesus and fill out a short contact form. ltw.org Jesus Well, that's it for today. But do make plans to join us again next time for more Leading the Way. This program is furnished by Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Connect via television, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and all of the social media networks.